Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Well, listeners, in case you didn't get enough sports today, here's an ad break that'll tell you how to watch even more sports. YouTube is the new home of NFL Sunday Ticket. And if you sign up now, you'll get our lowest full season price of the year. Just go to youtube.com slash presale to get $100 off NFL Sunday Ticket. Watch your favorite team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games exclusively on YouTube and YouTube TV. All right, enough about sports. Go get more sports. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends June 6th. No refunds. Hey, it's Ryan. You guys are going to love our show this week on the PP1 Podcast. We've got Scott Rintel talking about the West Coast Express, his new podcast series. It's going to be a ton of fun. You guys are going to enjoy it. There is no Ted. He's recovering from heart surgery. Make sure that you check us out. You give us a like, share us wherever you can. We really appreciate it. We need the love. We want to keep climbing. We want to make the show better. But until then, you're going to want to listen to the show. So enjoy me, Ryan, and Skyrim Tool. PP1 Podcast. Let's go. Are you ready? Are you kidding me? That's what? Yeah, every so often it happens that Ryan is right. 100% right. Not even a little <laughs> bit right. Tucker Pullman, two points last game. No kidding. My man. Hey, neither does me running shirtless, but that turned out very well. It so. did. <laughs> Welcome to the PP1 podcast. Well, I feel like our intro might have scared off our guest today, but I, he's probably seen a lot worse. Uh, the PP1 podcast on Cryer Media is proud to bring on to the show today, Scott Rintoul. He of many talents. He of, I mean, anybody that listens to our show, obviously, a lot of Vancouverites. We're talking 1040. We're talking 650. We're talking the fact that he's a dad. He's a podcaster, a runner extraordinaire. Scott Rintoul, welcome to the show. Brian, thanks, man. I don't have to go shirtless, but the intro made me think for a second. I'm pretty happy to keep mine on, though. Tarps off is always optional. Uh, we still, <laughs> we we operate on a on a usually a strictly uh, let's keep our shirts on basis. So um, solid. You've you've had uh, you've had a busy busy few months. It it seems as I can see in my podcast feed every single week. Uh, you've recently released Unreal Sports West Coast Express, um, and we're going to get into that in a second. We've got a few other things to go. Um, I mean, it's amazing already. I've I've tweeted, I've retweeted, I've it. It's it's basically it's it's like a love letter to Canucks fans. Unfortunately, we all know that there is a 
somewhat of an ending that we all do not prefer. But uh, it's it's great. First of all, congratulations on that. Um, it's good to see, uh, good to hear your voice. Good to see you doing the rounds and doing all that. Um, go 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 goat sports has been great uh, for you as well. Uh, it's been great to see you, Scott. I've I've got a few things that we kind of always go over. Uh, at the beginning, kind of little, you know, break the ice a little bit with myself and Ted, who's not here. He is recovering from heart surgery. He had successful, well, now I guess he's a tricuspid aortic valve. Or I guess he's got his little throttle body, the Binford, in there now. So he is recovered. He's at home from the hospital. Three months from now, he'll be slamming dingers for us on our hops ball team. So shout out to you, Ted. I know you'll be listening and watching this likely later because you're probably napping right now. Something about getting your blood levels back up. I get it. I get it. It's fine. It's fine. Um, yeah, man. Sending positive vibes his way. I've, uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's not the kind of guy that would soak this in and, and be uh, selfish about it, but we'll be selfish for him. I'm very happy that uh, this life-changing thing happened for him and uh, he'll be better for it. I'm a little bit scared of how well he'll be on the baseball field knowing that he'll have more blood pumping through his body. So we'll see. Um, some weird car stuff today, Scott. Um, you're in the lower mainland, so you see a lot of cars, a lot of different things down there. Kelowna, Kelowna's no stranger to that. Three things I've seen in the last day, and I'm thrilled because these are things I can talk about. First one, I saw a car yesterday with the license plate BLK SUV. You're thinking, okay, big deal. Great. Who cares? It was a silver Chrysler 200. Blackest. <laughs> I'm just, you know, maybe let's let's deke out on the on the license plate thing. I mean, I get it, but can they do you want to keep that vanity plate if you've already got, you know, a new car? Like what's what's the call on that? Well, maybe it's just trying to speak it into existence. Maybe <laughs> the black SUV is something that this owner has never had. And putting it out there into the world will one day materialize into the black SUV. It's like one of those pin boards, like a Pinterest board, but in real life exactly. that you've spent probably more money than you'd like to. On some, I mean, Chrysler 200 isn't bad. It's just, you know, it's not a black SUV. Um, the other no, one I not. the other one no, I saw, not. and this was super weird, and I'm sure you've seen this too. Um, I've been a, a you know struggling student to make money. Um, and you know had my little beater car. So sometimes your your sound system growing up. Going through your late teens and your maybe early 20s, heck, 30s or 40s, possibly. And, you know, we're, we don't all have a great sound system. Sometimes we don't even have one. Uh, so you, I'm sure you've seen the person with, like, headphones in their vehicle, right? Like, it's not out of the ordinary. It's not the safest thing to do based on safety things and, and you know, making sure you can hear emergency vehicles. And I thought, okay, whatever. It, he looked like a younger kid. Here's the thing. The vehicle he was driving, I know has a decent sound system. It was a Porsche Cayenne, like easily newer model. So it's not that he couldn't listen to his music in the vehicle. He made a choice there. Okay, so maybe it's quite the opposite. Mm. Maybe what you thought were headphones were actually those noise-canceling headphones that I put on my kids when we'd go to sporting events when they were really little. Mm. So maybe it's that the sound system is too good and now he's got the noise canceling headphones on to protect his ears. Do you think maybe he could just turn down the volume? I mean, he could. That but that again, seems like the easy he's got fix. Kids. Maybe his passengers demand that he blares the music. I have no idea. <laughs> I think he was the only one in the vehicle. That's why I was a little confused. So, <laughs> and then finally today, I was uh, getting my massage, uh, get my muscles back in, in uh, to where they need to be, which I'm going to feel like a wreck for the next two days. Because Kaylee, you're awesome at Move Health and Wellness. Uh, thank you for destroying me. I'll be back to good, back to good by Saturday or so. Um, I saw this in the parking lot. It was a uh, yeah, like a late '90s, early 2000s pickup truck, no grill, 
But instead of a grill, because you don't want stuff coming through, you know, your radiator, all that. Um, it was a bush, uh, bush light, you know, cardboard box that he clearly dismantled and, and attached it. So, Kelowna, way to go. Way to go. We don't need uh, terrible parking Facebook groups. Sometimes just enjoy the scenery for what it is. Hey, man, maybe that's just like the flyer flag. I am such a fan of Bud Light. You do you. I'll show you how much of a fan I am. Yeah. I will take out the grill on my vehicle and show you what I drink each and every day, week, month. Who knows? I mean, it was at the Walmart parking lot, so you start figuring some things out from there. So, I mean, I'm there, but I felt that my car was fine. Um, to the task at hand, West Coast Express, huge, huge hit. This is what everybody's been asking for, I feel. You delivered. Um, I think it's going to deliver long-term. This, is, this, this has staying power. Once all the episodes come out, like any good Netflix show or any TV series, I do feel this is going to be one of those that stands the test of time. I mean, as I said at the beginning, you've done an amazing job and we're not even done yet. How many episodes are uh, total in the whole series? There will be nine episodes in the whole series. And yeah, as you mentioned, as you and I are having this recording right now, episode seven is coming out tomorrow as it stands. So yeah, we're almost we're almost at episode seven, which is certainly a big one if you've listened to the first six episodes in the series. Mm-hmm. Episode six is 2003, or pardon me, 2002, 2003, which means episode seven contains the infamous incident. And it's fitting. I don't know if you were able to time how all these released. I'm sure you did because you're very clever. Um, this is, uh, I always get my, it's its the 8th or the 9th that, that that happened. It was March 8th. It was March 8th, 2004 when it happened. Mm-hmm. And actually, I would have preferred to have it further removed from the actual date because I did not want this podcast whatsoever to be sensational because of that. Right. Right. I wanted it to be sensational because of the content and because their story overall, in my opinion, is fantastic. Like it's an incredible story for so many different reasons that you and I can get into here mm-hmm. over the next little while. But when I was putting this together, I was cognizant of the fact that some people were going to want to use that as the hook, make that the sensational part of it. No. And I didn't want that to be the case. And I didn't feel honestly, if I was asking Brendan Morrison, Todd Bertuzzi and Marcus Naslin to participate in this, that it was of service to them if I went that way. And mm-hmm. I don't think they would have done it if they thought that's the way I was going to take this either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think the neat thing about the whole West Coast Express is that there are so many events that happen to lead up to it. Uh, obviously, after uh, we know the Todd Bertuzzi incidents coming up uh, this week. There's a lot of stuff that happens after as well. Like there's so many of these huge events every time, like every episode I'm listening, I'm like, oh, right. All right. Where were they brought up that they choked? That was a huge deal. That was a huge deal for everybody because we all just couldn't believe our ears. Did he just say the one thing that you would never expect an athlete to say, let alone the captain, let alone in a market that was red hot? And we're thinking, okay, that's it. That's it. I can't believe this happened. And you're you're talking about it for weeks. It was it was fodder for radio, for for newspapers. Um, I mean, podcasts weren't happening yet, but it was a big deal. I mean, I know it would have been when you guys would have been on the radio. That's all any of us were talking about. You're absolutely right. And that to me, what you mentioned, the number of memorable events or unforgettable, in the case of Bertuzzi Moore, incidents or happenings along the way with this group, 
that's why this story is so good. Like if I just gave you on the surface, the backstory of, okay, these are three players, two of them drafted in the first round, another early in the second who don't really work out with their original organizations. They get traded for by three different general managers yeah. and somehow wind up on the same line, even though that was never really the plan when they were brought in and they become the most dominant line in the NHL. That in itself is a great story. Yeah, That's fantastic. Hey, you can do something with that. But then you couple it with all of these memorable events that happen along the way, including each and every playoff series. You know, they get swept in four games by the by the Colorado Avalanche the first time they make it back to the playoffs in five years. Mm. But Marcus Naslin has this moment that nobody will ever forget, even though he's not playing in the series because he's got a broken leg. Mm -hmm. And then there's... And we'll ever forget the year they lose to the Minnesota wild, but oh. beat the St. Louis blues. Both of those are three, one comeback series. Then there's the Calgary flames epic that comes their way after the Bertuzzi Moore incident. Like it's, it's almost unbelievable except that we lived it and we know it all happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, every one of those years had its own storyline and going through uh, like Ted and I, we were both uh, working Jersey City back in the day. So, I mean, for us, we're living it in a different way. We're living it on the sales side, on the merchandise side. And as these names become popular and your the T-shirts and and the, the hockey stick logo had just kind of resurfaced around that time as well. So we we're starting to sell those things and like everything was just going absolutely mad for the Canucks. But it was a different storyline each year. And then obviously leading up you know, the prior years to getting to that point, like the whole buildup, I think, was just as impressive as them actually making it. And I think, again, that's why this has done so well. And I think after it's all said and done, after all the episodes are released, this is one of those things where it will stand on its own. Like, it's almost like a little series, like we don't do DVD box sets anymore, but it kind of has that 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 character to it, I think, that can continue to last. So um, let's get into some other stuff on here. Um I think a big question, a lot of us guys that do podcasting and, and all this background work, you invested a lot of time into this project. How, how, how much time did you actually put into this? I have no idea how many hours. Your wife like, will know. Honestly, Maybe we should ask her. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a bad idea for me to put the hours together because it has been a labor of, a labor of love. And to be perfectly frank, assembling a lot of the elements of this podcast, I jobs i was doing other things so by virtue of that i was never able to dedicate myself until the last few months specifically to this right because i took a year where i was trying a bunch of different stuff and this was one of those things but i knew i had a little bit of time to play with because i hadn't put a promise out of when this was coming very few people knew about it along the way so it wasn't until i actually delivered that tweet three or four Oh. Give us a date. There we go. Let us know when it's coming. I have no idea how many hours it took me, Ryan. Yeah. But I feel like it was worth it with everything that was being I was able to bring together for this. Oh, absolutely. I don't think anybody's going to say it isn't worth it. I mean, I I caught up. I probably started it late, so I think I had three episodes to go right off the hop. So for me, it was binge listen as I'm driving around for my work, and I'm thinking, oh, great, like my week's set. I'm going to be jacked every time I hear something new, and it just kept going. The, the one question I kind of had, because I, th I think a few yeah. people were probably thinking this, was this like when you were talking to the Sedins or, or Morrison or Nazan, any of the coaches, 
were these like, did you have kind of the whole layout and you'd spend like a two hour conversation with each one of these guys? Was it multiple phone calls? How did, how did the setup kind of go? For the most part, they're singular interviews. There have been a couple of things that you'll hear in the last two episodes where I had to call Marcus and Todd and Brandon again, just to flush a couple of things out. The other is Trevor Linden, where I asked him a couple of different things about the lockout just because he was the NHL PA president at the time. And I don't spend too much time going into the weeds on the lockout, but it was still an important part of this era Mm -hmm. and did change things dramatically for this team along the way. But most of them were singular interviews. It's a good question about whether I had it all mapped out because when I started this project, I didn't. When I looked at it originally, I thought, okay, they have a great story. I'll tell that story over the span that they were together and we'll leave it at that. But as I started to go down the road of talking to them and realizing what they meant to the franchise and ultimately to the city as well, I realized that people who didn't live through it personally weren't going to understand that impact unless they knew what it was like beforehand. So that's why the early episodes are spent talking about what it was like after 94 through to 98, 99, where things weren't very good. They weren't bad in 95, 96, but then they went downhill in a hurry from a results standpoint. And this is a team that had a brand new building at the time. And this is a team that had superstars at the time, the types of players who are supposed to put people in seats. So I wanted to take listeners through the journey of here's how it got to where it got to. And now here's the group that ends up dragging it back very unexpectedly because Naslin, Bertuzzi, Morrison were not heralded in the way that they ended up being heralded when they first got to the Canucks organization. Yeah, I mean, Marcus Naslin was kind of climbing up and we're thinking, okay, like things are going well. We're starting to see something there. Todd Bertuzzi comes over in the trade. Think, okay, like just like any other trade, like you kind of know the name, but you don't really know the, the player. And then everything just slowly comes together. And next thing you know, we've got we've got the hottest line in hockey. And I mean, it was popular for obviously more reasons than one. Um, I want to get into the Minnesota series. I think a lot of people remember that a few ways. Obviously, there's the fact that they were on the brink of going to the West Coast final or the Western final, sorry, against Anaheim. And a lot of us believe that that was a series the Canucks probably could have taken. That being said, they didn't. There was a few things that happened where maybe they just got in their own heads, which I think is probably very true. And they've kind of admitted some of those things. But I remember... This would have been early Twitter days, so probably like 2012, 2013. And I think, uh, I want to say it was like Blake Price or something. Or I'd called into, I mean, it might have even been you. Um, And I I brought up, I'm trying to remember what it was, saying like, well, you know, they they had the opportunity to beat Minnesota and they didn't. And then everyone keeps bringing back how they just got shut down for that whole series, whether it was Willie Mitchell or Wes Walls or, I mean, Darby Hendrickson puts that goal in. And then they're in game seven. Game seven, we're thinking, we've seen this too, I mean, as a Canucks fan, we've heard this story way too many times. Oh, they're up 2-0. I mean, Bertuzzi, I think it was a breakaway goal that they went up on 2-0. And I just, this is it. This is our run. This is the best team we've ever had. Let's just get this over with. Let's go on and let's go and win the Stanley Cup this year. Well, we all know that didn't happen. It, um, how, how do you remember that? Not necessarily as obviously what did happen, but like, You personally, how do you remember that series going? I remember that game seven specifically as a collapse. 
So if we want to start there, I remember that game as a collapse. But I, like you, and I was covering it at the time, I was in the building for all of those games in Vancouver, including Game 7. I, like you, thought they've got this series. They won the first game in dramatic fashion. Minnesota battles back to tie it. But then they go into Minnesota, and despite the fact they barely got any shots in Game 3, but that power play was such a weapon at the time. It was so good. And they were opportunistic on the power play in games three and four. So they come back up 3-1, and literally it just felt like a matter of time. They laid an egg in game five, but you thought, okay, whatever. Everybody has an off night. They go back to Minnesota, and they didn't play badly, but Minnesota played really well. And yet there was still this collective confidence coming back for game seven because people had recently seen it. They'd seen them beat St. Louis in game seven the round before after coming back from their own 3-1 series deficit. They'd been a great home team all year. They're playing against a Minnesota team that really was in gravy time. Hey, this is awesome. We upset the Colorado Avalanche. We're taking the Canucks to game seven. But there was such a confidence, and that confidence was well-warranted through almost the first two periods. As you mentioned, they're up 2-0 and completely dominating that game. It's not just that they had the lead. Mm -hmm. They were dominating that game. As Mark Crawford says, and this isn't a spoiler alert, but as Mark Crawford says in that episode, they didn't have a scoring chance, Minnesota, through almost two periods of play. Mm -hmm. And the goal that gets Minnesota back in is one of those fluky goals. Now, the Canucks have benefited from some of those in their history, the Kevin Bieksa stanchion goal being one of them. Mm -hmm. But it was such a fluky goal where the puck comes back over the net, bounces in front, and then it's past Kluche, who hasn't even seen the puck at the time. Like, you can't fault anybody on that play. It's just one of those weird things in sports that happens. But they were up 2-1 still, going into the third period at home with a shot at the Western Conference final on the line. There was still a collective confidence, and it evaporated. And that's why I say it was a collapse. All of a sudden, it was 2-2, and everybody in the building got a little nervous. That team started to play not to lose because they knew they were the heavy favorite. They all of a sudden, it was, it was almost as if they felt the stakes of... Mm -hmm guys, we had this thing in the bag and we're supposed to go to the third round, maybe the Stanley Cup. Don't blow this. That's what it felt like in the building at the time. And we all know how it ends and Minnesota goes on to the next round. But that's how I remember that series. It's funny how these kind of series don't quite foreshadow the future. I mean, Boston is a great example of 3-2. As much as we wanted to believe 3-2 meant they were a win away, we all said to you know our collective heads like, they couldn't lose two games against Boston. No way. We've shut them out do you twice. Remember, sorry to jump in, Ryan, yeah. but do you remember when they were up 2-0 in the Stanley Cup final and people in Vancouver, and I was doing the radio show at the time, Ferraro and I were doing the morning show, and we took calls from people and we got texts from people saying, I hope they lose one game in Boston mm -hmm. because I want to see them win it at home. Not, I think they're going to finally win a Stanley Cup. People were so convinced. And I know we're they want it tailored. The series I've done, but they they were so convinced. And there was a similar feeling with that Minnesota series. Okay, the Canucks are going to win it. It's just a matter of when. And it and felt like it. Yeah, it, it did really feel did. like it. Yeah, it's two series. I mean, I guess San Jose and Vegas know that story a little bit differently too. Um, <laughs> that five minute major seems to stick out for some reason. It, well, there's a lot of teams that know that. Hey, yeah. you mentioned the Boston Bruins. Don't like Boston blew a three nothing series lead mm -hmm. the year before they ultimately beat Vancouver in the Stanley Cup. They blew a three nothing series lead to the Philadelphia Flyers the year before that. So there's been tons of teams that have had their own collapses. I know Vancouver fans don't think it happens to anybody but them, but it does. 
Yeah, it's it's. I think we have a little bit of uh, recency bias every time. Well, it's 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 only been us. It's no one ever has. Of course, it does. Like we, I think as the the Canucks fan base, we seem to. And this this is stating the obvious. We all think like everything matters to this organization. Everything matters. We're the this is the only fan base that's going through any of this. And yet you go over to the Eastern Conference and you see like, yeah, shut it down in Pittsburgh. It's over. And like, what are you talking about? And all the stuff. Yeah, they got to fire the coach. They got to get rid of the GM, get rid of Hextall. And we're crying because, you know, we're we're not content with a retool or a re- whatever that needs to look like. We're just so, so whiny about what we believe we deserve. And yet there's 31 other teams that are going through equally painful things. I mean, what about the fact that you don't have a Shea Weber to be on your team anymore or a Carey Price or, you know, down the road, down the road, down the road. And we still believe like, wow, it should be about the Canucks. And now as soon as they start talking about the Canucks in the national media, oh, we need to stop talking about the Canucks. Well, what do we want? What what are we here? So it's, it's, it's kind of funny. bias. It, it really is. And yeah. you find it in every fan base. Oh, sure. Right. Cause if you were looking at the, you referenced the Montreal Canadians, not having a Shea Weber or a Carey Price anymore. And if you're a Canucks fan looking at that or another fan base looking at Montreal, you go, yeah, but you just went to the Stanley Cup final and you went on this immaculate run and it was so much fun and the entire country for the most part got on board. Like you have that. And then there's others who would look at, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs, for example. Mm -hmm. Like you can make a pretty good case that the Leafs are living their West Coast Express era right now. Yeah. An era where you have dominant offensive players And for the most part, in the early going of this Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner era, John Tavares included, Mm -hmm. they were super fun to watch. They've locked it down. It's happened. They haven't been able to get anything done in the playoffs. No, they have individual awards. Even though they have these great players that people have gravitated to and love watching, like the Vancouver Canucks of the era I've documented, they didn't get anything done in the postseason. And they're kind of at that put up or shut up point this year. Mm-hmm. year doesn't it feel like that for you that if oh, the Leafs don't absolutely. finally get at minimum a, a series win that there will be massive changes to that organization I think we're all waiting for that pin to drop and I mean as a as a Canucks fan that would be awful if the Leafs won at the same time as a Canadian hockey fan and you take away all the the rivalries and everything you look at you're right you look at that team you think they better get it done because that they're gonna have to change it because you can't keep running that same team, that same formula, and expect that, oh, well, next year maybe we'll get a shot. And, of course, they're going to go and play Tampa Bay in the first round. Maybe they'll luck out somehow and get someone else. But it's like Vancouver goes through Chicago or they go through, I mean, they kept playing St. Louis for the longest time too. But it's almost like they need to get over their personal, you know, their their dragon of whatever that looks like to get past that point. And just like the Canucks, it was... If they get past the second round, because they've had a fairly short history, it was either they're out or they go to the cup. There's there's no middle. They've never just lost in the Western Conference Final, which is kind of bizarre if you think about the teams that have been in Vancouver. So we don't know anything else. It's either they make the playoffs or or they don't, or they go all the way and lose. So... There's some massive extremes for this fan base, whereas, you know, we could see the Leafs going a lot further. We can see, I mean, you look at a Calgary or an Edmonton, like Edmonton was a few years ago, where it looked like they were going to go to the Stanley Cup the next year, and then they're back in, you know, top three. So 
it, it's it's a funny it's a funny sport i think scott and i think uh i think we all need to chill out a little bit the one thing i well, will it shows not you how, it, show, it shows you how fine the margins are right yeah. sorry to jump in no that's okay but you know you look at that west coast express era for example and i think the leafs are a good tie into this as well because you can tell yourself you're this close but you just played the wrong team you know the canucks lose that first playoff series back in in 01 to the avalanche well they go in the stanley cup mm-hmm. well we lost to the eventual cup champs same with the detroit red wings the next year the collapse against minnesota is a little bit different but then the following year and again this isn't spoiling the podcast you guys all know this happened but they lose to the calgary flames and what do the flames do they go to the stanley mm-hmm. cup final that same year and narrowly lose to the tampa bay lightning it makes you feel you're a lot closer than you actually are. Yeah, that Calgary series, I think, uh, even if the Canucks would have won that series, somehow, there's no way they were going to get that far. They just weren't built the way to... I, I don't believe they were. It was... They made it. I mean, Bertuzzi's obviously out at that point. They didn't have all their horses. They still got to... I mean, they didn't have Kluche as well. And Alex All, the, the famous play against Marty Jelna. Uh, I mean, even had they gone through to that next round. I mean, the, the Canucks are probably going to be ripe for the picking anyway. So Maybe, but it's a funny thing. But who knows? That's why the Stanley Cup playoffs are such a funny thing. Did anybody have Dallas going all the way the year of the bubble, getting there and ultimately losing to Tampa Bay? True. The year where the Canucks missed the playoffs in 05-06, the first year after the lockout, Edmonton's the team that gets into the playoffs because the Canucks don't finally get there. Right. And what do the Oilers do? They go to the Stanley Cup final game seven, but every time they went around, people went, okay, this is over now. Mm-hmm. Like, it's done now. They had their nice moment in the sun. You just never know in the playoffs because weird things happen. So this is the weird thing. And this was probably, I to me, I think the Messier episode stood out the most. And I think it still will after this is all said and done. Because hearing from all the players and hearing we've heard bits and pieces over the years about Mark Messier in the dressing room, but did it surprise you how revered he actually was? And the fact that, you know, they brought the, they brought the team kind of together and were they were probably a lot closer than anybody was willing to, I guess, admit or because a lot of you guys, I'm like, you've been in a lot of dressing rooms and or for the Canucks anyway, and you've seen this happen, but I mean, Mark Messier just, it, it felt like the worst possible thing for obvious reasons after they lose. And yet we're hearing from all the players, oh, he taught me this and he was such a great teammate and this and that, and he wanted to win. And that's why it was like, did that surprise you as well? The fact that you're hearing like these words that just made no sense almost. It's not that it surprised me that much from a couple of players. Like I knew Marcus Nasland having taken over the captaincy and heard him speak about it before. I knew Marcus Nasland felt he got a lot from Mark Messi on the leadership front and that he taught him a lot. Bertuzzi, I wasn't sure, but because I knew he was an Oilers fan growing up, I figured he probably revered Messier to a certain degree. But you're right. Everybody talks about Mark Messier in very glowing terms, except for the group that was there when he first arrived that was the old guard from 94. Sure. And it's not that they disparaged Messier as a person or even a player to to that extent like they they didn't dave babich for example has a couple of very memorable quotes in that episode but babich is the first to say i it didn't ever bother me about messi as a player or a person it just bothered me that once keenan got there they were kind of their own separate entity 
from the team. Yeah. But that was a Mike Keenan who was trying to turn that roster over and he was going to build around a guy he'd already won a Stanley Cup with in New York. Some of the stories surprised me though, Ryan. Like the story Mark Crawford tells, and I'm not going to ruin it for those who haven't had a chance to listen to that episode about Messier's final game as a Canuck. That story to me was fantastic. Brian Burke waxes poetic to a certain degree about Messier. Dave Nonis as well. He really did have a better impact on the players who remained than Canucks fans want to give him credit for. And you don't have to change your opinion about Mark Messier, but getting a new perspective on it might make you see what he did in Vancouver in a slightly different light. It it just felt so weird listening to it and just thinking I that was the first thing after I listened to that I know we've been you and I've been kind of chatting in the background for a few weeks and I thought as soon as I heard that episode I said okay I had a bunch of questions kind of planned out for you and then they all kind of changed I thought I need to go in a different way cuz my brain had just exploded from hearing all this and it, it was weird to hear as as a Canucks fan weird to hear that from you know the whole 94 thing that happened and they lose then he comes over and we just all have this image and this this feeling about Messi and Keenan and then you kind of hear it back and think okay I can still have my opinion on it but at the same time I'm thinking well these guys were you know fans of them and and great teammates you know over time we mature we grow up we <laughs> we we can change our minds a little bit and I think we can still hate Mark Messi for the obvious reasons but I do think that we probably deserve to be fair to the team that we've we've cherished in this West Coast Express era and probably think, you know what, and I've said this before, if we didn't have the Messier era, we don't get all these other things. We don't get Roberto Luongo. We don't get Todd Bertuzzi. We don't get all these extra awesome things. We don't get a 2011 run because, you know, it's the, the Kevin Bacon effect kind of thing. All those things trickle to the next thing kind of this serendipitous kind of butterfly effect thing. We needed that to happen, whether we want to. And right now, we maybe we need this awful time of whatever this is called um, in the current Canucks regime. Maybe we do need this because there's something, you know, six, seven years down the road where we're going to think, well, I'm glad we went through that, even though it didn't feel good at the time. You make a very good point. And remember John Tortorella and the one year he spent here, what did he say at the Mm -hmm. end? It's stale. Like, this needs to change. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't wrong. And here's a very unpopular take. You don't have to change your opinion on the person, but Mike Keenan had the right idea. Like, Mike Keenan's idea of having to turn over the roster and that perhaps the Canucks as an organization had been a little too loyal to players who are revered in their history, that they'd been loyal for a little too long, he wasn't wrong on that. They did need to turn part of that roster over. The problem was he was the one person that couldn't do it because of his relationship with the fan base dating back to 1994. Whatever he did wasn't going to sell to Canucks fans. If that's a different person coming in and trying that idea, maybe it goes over a little bit better than it did at the time. Ultimately, though Keenan didn't carry out all of the moves, ultimately that strategy is what that team needed to do, ultimately did, and built itself back up. But mm-hmm. he was just the wrong guy for the job because of that relationship. Well, they're the two flagship guys, right? I mean, it was one thing to have a Mike Keenan and then Mark Massey. You're thinking, okay, that's enough. We're good. Are we going to get Brian Leach too? Who else do we want to bring over? Like it, it just, it was, 
it's the kind of thing you would write in like a you know in a superhero kind of movie and like of course the villains are going to take over and and they're going to they're going to dramatic docu series that you are putting together <laughs> yeah it's like it's there's no way that that happened and yet it did happen um we're almost done here scott i know you got to get some uh some time to get to your kids uh, a couple of final questions here the big question this is my personal question is there going to be a sequel are we going to see a docu series on the sedines are we going to see one on the road up to 2011 alex burrows maybe rory fitzpatrick is is there something in the works that you could tease to say don't don't you know don't don't give up yet there's a little bit more coming down the road how about a solid maybe i like how about that? that's good enough for me so ryan here's what i'll tell you the whole concept between behind unreal which is what we've entitled the franchise is that this was going to be season one. Love it. Okay. However, and whether this disappoints you or not, maybe it excites you. Unreal is supposed to be about more than just hockey. It's supposed to be about more than just Vancouver. It's supposed to be about unreal stories. And there are a lot of them across sports. So what I can tell you is that I have plans to do a second season and beyond. I'm not going to say that it's going to be Vancouver Canucks centric because right now, if push came to shove, it wouldn't be. It would actually be different sport, different story. But what I can tell you is I will find something that I believe is compelling in a different way, but equally compelling to be a part of this franchise for season number two. I love it. So if it's the Vancouver Grizzlies, we get it. I think that's quite <laughs> a story. I mean, it keeps it close to home. I'm sure you've got enough contacts that you can make that happen. Um, the final one, I, I went through a little deep dive of your Instagram. You also have a golden retriever, ugh, golden retriever, uh, and it's I do. it's Leia. Is that correct? Or it is. Now I've also got a golden retriever. His name's Rocket. He turned four today. Happy birthday, Rocket! Upstairs. Happy birthday, Rocket! He 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 doesn't. I, unfortunately, I've I found out he doesn't care, and I'm trying to tell that to my wife and kids because he's like, <laughs> oh, it's his birthday. It's he's a dog. He's you give him a cookie, he's thrilled. So like, I'm sure you know this already, but how jealous. And how ridiculous is Leia? Because I know what I see every day, and I know that's very similar for a lot of other retriever uh, families. So, like, what's a day to day uh, in your house with a dog? Uh, she's the best. Like, she is the best. I absolutely love dogs. My kids love her. It's their real first dog. We did have a golden retriever a number of years ago, but unfortunately, she passed before my kids got to an age where they knew anything about her so this is their first dog and bringing home that puppy you know this ryan mm -hmm. like it's such a memorable moment and heartwarming moment my little girls had no idea we surprised them when we brought her home just over a year ago and yeah. literally my oldest opened the door and i was holding this puppy and she just kind of lost it she was shocked overwhelmed all of those things all at once yeah, it's a great day-to-day -day existence. They're such great family dogs. We've had a blast with her. Not without, you know, the odd incident here and there of, mm -hmm. of eating a pair of socks or whatever it happens to be mm -hmm. along the way. Because mm -hmm. as you know, they like food. Mm -hmm. They're motivated by people and food. But mm -hmm. it's a fun problem to have. We absolutely love her. So cheese obviously is a, a commodity thing in your house. And uh, because you have a girl dog. Uh, and we're getting now to the point where everybody's starting to get their lawns ready for the spring. How does your lawn look right now? Because <laughs> mine looks well, awful. Well, here's the good news. 
here's the good news. I have trained her in the first year to, for the most part, go somewhere that's not on the lawn. So she's pretty good with it. Love it. She's pretty good with it. Now, Excellent. sometimes when the kids take her out and she's running the show a little more than when dad takes the dog out, she gets the odd bit of lawn. But for the most part, she's pretty good about it. I'll, I'll say that. And you mentioned the cheese. Yeah, cheese is a big commodity mm-hmm. for her. But man... They are, she's a, she's a counter surfer if she can be. And we've learned the hard way about that. One, one morning, my wife made a banana bread. Fabulous. Had it for breakfast. There's half the loaf sitting on the counter. Mm -hmm. Didn't even think about it. Mm -hmm. Came back down from getting the kids ready upstairs to get off to school. Mm -hmm. And I thought my wife must've wrapped it up. Must've put it away somewhere. Nope. Dog got up and ate half a loaf of banana bread. Not a crumb to be found. That's Probably a, one of the greatest days of her life to this point. That's a fun aftermath, I'm sure, because I've been. Oh yeah, yeah, I've I've been there. Yeah, because if your house is anything like mine, mm-hmm. you're picking up ninety-five to ninety-eight percent of the crap, right, Ryan? Uh the sure, yeah, right. I I tend to get oh, home a little bit later, so sometimes there was a run where I was in charge of that. Yes, but uh, okay. Now well, that I'm home second, you got a better deal than me. I need your agent because I don't have that deal right now in my house. It's uh, it's, it's an interesting concept. I just I hear about it, and usually the guilt alone is uh, it's just as bad as having to pick it up. Scott Rintoul, thank you so much for coming by the PB One podcast today. I hope we can have you on again when Ted's back and and properly healthy. I'm sure there's gonna be a lot more to talk about. Maybe we'll have a better Canucks team to chat about. Um, congratulations on uh, making this thing happen. It's a it's a stunning success. It's amazing. Everybody needs to listen to this on Unreal Sports. Go check it out on after you're done listening to us, obviously. Um, go check it out on your Apples, on your Spotify's, Google, wherever you can get a podcast. It was it's so amazing. I can't wait. This week is going to be quite a, a monumental episode as well. It holds its own, whether any of the other episodes don't already. Um, go listen to it. West Coast Express. Scott Rintel, thank you so much. Hey, Ryan, thanks for having me, man. This was a fun conversation. Keep in touch, and I'm really happy to hear that you're enjoying the podcast. It's a great. On behalf of Scott Rintel and Ryan, this is PP1 Podcast. Peace out. Hey, guys, it's Dean Blundell here. Check out my show Monday through Friday at DeanBlundell.com. We stream live daily at 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. I'm joined by Lachlan Cross and a collection of guests to discuss tough topics mainstream media doesn't want to touch. And if you can't join us live, just download the podcast on your time. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and at DeanBlundell.com. Do, did, will. The Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.